start John chapter 12. Got a few more chapters left to go here. We are definitely going to be in John for the rest of this year. Uh, at, the, at the pace we go, plus first Wednesdays, now one, one Wednesday a month is we're not teaching through, through John. We'll be doing, you know, first Wednesday prayer. So only three, sometimes four Wednesdays per month uh, if it's a fifth Wednesday. But, um, so we've got several chapters. So I think sometime in 2019 we'll be finished with the book of John. And so I'm, I'm contemplating something a little different. I don't, was not in the least planning on saying this, but since I started, I will continue. Um, thinking about something different on Wednesdays, praying about it. So y'all are some faithful Wednesday nighters, so you can begin to pray with me about this. We have some time, you know, we have until 2019. But since I've started preaching um, verse by verse on Sundays, and that's going to be a pattern that I'm going to, to continue on Sundays. We're in Ephesians right now, and I'm not sure what book we're going to go to next on Sundays, but that'll be the pattern that we're going to go through. Uh, I feel like we maybe could do something different on Wednesdays. And so one thought that I had is that we could, um, we could take certain subjects and topics for Wednesday night, um, and we could uh, advertise it to the church on Wednesday that you know, this is the series we're going to be covering. It may be a, a, a series on specifically on marriage. It could be a series specifically on finances. It could be, you know, just some type of series, topical series, that we could gear it just for Wednesday nights, you know, for, you know, five or six weeks on this subject. And I think we would actually probably get more people to come that, to, uh, to a specific uh, focused subject on a, on a Wednesday. So I'm thinking about that. Um, I don't have any other thoughts or thought about it. But just be praying that God will lead us. I'm not opposed to continuing to do two, two separate books on, you know, one on Wednesday and one on Sundays. We could still do that as well. But just be praying that the Lord will lead us and we'll, we'll figure it out. God will guide us. Um, so, all right, we will continue in John chapter 12, and we have a very, um, I, I guess, very famous account of uh, something that takes place in the life of Jesus here right before he's going to enter Passover week and right before he's going to be crucified, and it's, the account is in all four Gospels, and so, but we're looking at the account here in John, and so be, before we get into it, you know, the, the subject matter that we're going to be talking about. The, the, the theme of this is that Jesus is given a gift. He's given a very memorable gift by a woman named Mary. And, and we're going to look at that in the first uh, uh, 11 verses here of chapter 12. But just to kind of talk about a, a, a gift, a memorable gift. Have you guys had a, a gift given to you that was really memorable, that stands out to you? And if you can think of a gift, you think, Man, this is one that just really um, was special, and it still to this day it, it's really special. A- anybody? I was waiting for somebody to say my husband or my wife. I wasn't going to say other than your husband or your wife, <laughs> but that that is. I will have to say that is the most precious gift God has ever given me for sure. So she gave you her, her ring? Was it her wedding ring? So it's very special. You, you, you said she's 86. Very, very special. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else? 
Absolutely. I, I'm trying to figure that one out myself. I'm trying to see if I can stack the deck. <laughs> see if, I, if you guys ever heard on the, uh, you know, tr- stuff travels on the internet real quickly, stories travel, and you don't know if it's true or not, but I did find out it actually was true. But you, who's, who's ever heard of Francis Chan? Right? Francis Chan. Um, and, you know, the way things are dated on the internet, so I thought it happened in 2018, but technically this story happened in 2016. And he was working in ministry, and there was this young man, I think his name was Justin, young man named Justin that he was working with, and he just really loved Justin, was a man of God and had a character and integrity. And one time in his prayer time, he said, Lord, I just would love to have John to be a part of my family. And this is the way Francis is saying it. He said, can you make him fall in love with my daughter? And so he's, like, he's thinking, this is a ridiculous prayer for me to pray. That, you know, that's crazy, right? It's like witchcraft. You know? and so, um, but he was sincere. Lord, make him fall in love with my daughter. And, of course, he said nothing happened. He said six months passes. And, you know, he's kind of just forgot about it. He still loves the brother. He's working with him in ministry. He's working under Francis. And so he said he gets a call, and it's Justin. And Justin says, he says, I know this is going to be crazy. And out the blue, he said, but can I take your daughter out on a date? And he said, this is what Francis said. He, he immediately told him, he says, yes, and do you need any money? <laughs> he said, I will pay for wherever you want to go. And six months later, they were married. And... Um, and so, oh, I, f- I forgot a big key part of the story. This is kind of the kicker of all of this. Before Justin called and asked to take his daughter out on a date, he was praying one morning, and he said, Lord, I just, again, he said, I know this is a crazy prayer for me to pray, Lord. He said, but I just feel so distant from you right now. And like, I just could really love, would really love for you to show me how much you love me. Can you just show me how much you love me? He said, Lord, I know I apologize for the prayer, but I just, Show me how much you love me. He said in, in 30 minutes, that's when Justin called. And, um, and of course, you know, the Lord was already working out the details before that. But I just, so, and I'm sure Francis would say the same thing that Brother Barry said. That what, what, what a great gift to have godly spouses for your children. You know, because you, know, you raise your kids to love the Lord. And you want them to serve the Lord. And, and who you marry is so important. It's one of the biggest decisions you will make in your life. You have to marry somebody that loves the Lord. Amen? All those who are married to Christian spouses, you agree, right? Amen. Being married to a Christian spouse is challenging. You've been married for 15 years. It's challenging by itself. Can you imagine being married to somebody who wasn't a Christian? And you, so you both don't love the Lord? I don't know how people who don't, who, don't know, who don't love the Lord stay married. Just keeping it real. I mean, I struggle being self-centered. And I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Gifts. Anybody else? Because I'm about to share my, my favorite gift I've gotten. Okay. Oh, that's precious. That's good. What a precious gift. What a precious gift. Amen. 
What a blessing. Awesome gift. Amen. Man, I'm about to share my gift. I'm like, mine is shallow. <laughs> mine is like really shallow, but I'm going to share it anyway. Obviously, let me give all these disclaimers. My wife is my most precious gift, and then, and then my kids, and then the, you know, the people that I'm in relationship with here in my life, my friends and my job, all those are great gifts. But I have to say, one of the most memorable gifts I've ever received in my life is the privilege of going to the Masters Golf Tournament in 2016. <laughs> I got, I got free, a free ticket. And those tickets, the ticket that I got, and I could explain this, but it really has nothing to do with this message. But to get this ticket is a big deal. Um, it, the, this ticket is it's, it's called a, a series badge. And these badges come in pairs. And, and it's, like, it's like a mafia set up there, the way they give out these series badges. Nobody knows how you get them. And so, but people... The Masters has cracked down on this, but they used to be able to sell them on eBay, and they would sell them for three, four, five, six, ten thousand dollars, depending on what day it was. If it's on a Sunday, which is the final day of the tournament, it's tens of thousands of dollars for that ticket. I went on a Thursday, first day of the tournament, got a free ticket. Just had to drive to Georgia, and I got to go to them. And for those who don't know golf, this means nothing to you. But if you know and appreciate golf, like me and Mr. Charles Guffey do right here, he knows. Isn't that amazing? To be at Augusta National, to walk those greens. Have you ever been there? Would you love to go there? Please say yes. <laughs> if I had a ticket and I told you we're going next year, would you come with me? Okay, all right. <laughs> but that, that was a memorable gift. I'll never forget that gift. And we're going to see a memorable gift here. And it really is memorable. And Scripture tells us that it was memorable. Okay, that was a crazy introduction here, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to get into the Bible here and teach Scripture. John chapter 12, let's look at this memorable gift and see what we can learn from this gift. John 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner, so they gave a, a dinner for him there. And I just, when I read this this week, I thought, duh, <laughs> you give him a dinner, right? You were dead, he was dead. Like, I mean, just like, this has got to be an amazing, I thought about, this is not just like, we're having, hey, come over for dinner at my house. This is a big deal. This is the guy that was dead. And we're going to see in the few verses here, other people showed up to see this. People that were from the outside, because they wanted to witness the guy that was dead, but now is alive they gave a dinner in his honor for him there martha served and martha served it's a little side note there martha served and lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of jesus and wiped his feet with her hair the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume but judas iscariot one of his disciples he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Don't, don't you love scripture? Just cutting it straight. Being plain. He didn't say that because he cared, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may Keep it for the day of my, of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. 
When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. See, they came, they heard, wait a minute, this man that was dead, he's alive, he's having dinner over here in Bethany. Let's come here because we got to see this, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. They said, we got to kill the miracle worker and we got to kill the proof of his miracle working power. That is crazy right there. That is unbelief. To the core. We're going to kill. We, we need to kill the miracle worker. And we will not even. Den- we won't deny that he did the miracle. We know he did it because the man is right there. And we are so full of hate. And hatred and unbelief. That we want to kill the proof of his miracle working power. That is the depth of unbelief right there. That's just unbelievable. Because on account of him, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Which is the obvious implication of what should happen. And so what do these Jews, these, these, these religious leaders want to do? They're trying to, as we learned however many weeks ago it was, I talked about this. They're trying to protect themselves. They're trying to protect their name. They're trying to protect their position. So we're going to kill the miracle worker and we're going to kill the proof of the miracle. Because we want to protect ourselves. So stunning to see that. So some powerful verses here. A lot to bring out. You have to kind of decide what direction you're going to go. And so this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at three pictures that we see in in Mary's gift. What do we learn from Mary's gifts? What do we see from the gift that Mary gave to Jesus before he is crucified? The first thing that we see, the obvious picture here, is we see a picture of extravagant love. It's a picture of, of extravagant love. Let's go back to the text. John 12, 3a, the first portion of verse 3 there. It says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. And later on in the verses it says there that, that it, was a, it was a perfume. That whenever she broke the, the box that the, that, the, that, the, that the ointment, the perfume was in, it says that, that, that it smelled the, the room that they were in. Everyone smelled the perfume. And this is what Jews would do to prepare a body for burial. And they would, they would they'd, they'd bathe the body in spices and, and, and ointments like this. And so it was, it was expensive perfume. It was expensive ointment. And this is what it says here. She therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. And then the text tells us, it gives a, a value to it. It gives a value to it. And this is why we say it's a picture of extravagant love because when you, when you understand the value, then you understand how extravagant it really is. So it says that whenever she broke the flask, broke the box of the ointment and poured it out on Jesus' feet, Judas spoke up. And what did Judas say? He said, this could have been sold for 300 denarii. So you put a dollar amount on it. So a denarii during that day, that, that, that dollar amount, that, that, that currency, uh, uh, one denarii was equal to, to a single day's work. A single day's work. And so you take 300 days, that's approximately a year's salary for a, an average working person during that time. So let's think about that. I, I Google search, I literally typed in most expensive perfume in the world. That's what I googled, and this is what I got. And I got the top, there's like a top ten. So this is, that is not number one. Oh, no, no, that, that is number two, but it's called Clive Christian number one. So this is number two, and it's, it's worth $12,721.89 per ounce. Wow. Let's look at number one. This is number one. 
DKNY Golden Delicious Million Dollar Fragrance Bottle. One million dollars. So it's the fragrance bottle. The bottle itself. And this is not like, this is real. This was like Forbes. Forbes had an article on this bottle. And then uh, um, uh, uh, Finance, uh, I forget the name of the, of, of the other site. But it was like reputable sites. It wasn't like made up fake news that you see out there. Uh, this, was, this is real. And, and it's the bottle itself that is expensive. Not necessarily what's in it. The bottle is worth a million dollars because of the amount of carats of diamonds that are on there and the gold. Unreal. But let's go back to, to number two. Let's try to quantify what we're talking about here. What, let's try to get a picture of what it was like that Mary was breaking on Jesus' feet, pouring out on his feet. So the average median salary, right, was a dollar a day, a dollar a day, so 300 300, 300 denarii was about a year's salary. So I, I also searched the median salary in America and the, the latest t- totals are, are for 2016. And it said that the median salary in America across the board is 56,000 and change. 56,000 and change. So it basically would be like four of these bottles. If those bottles were one ounce per bottle, you take four of those. It's about like four and a little bit extra. And that's what, that would have been like what she broke. Can you imagine ever thinking about doing that? Like, I'm going to give you a bottle of one ounce perfume that's worth $12,721. Here's a bottle of perfume that that is what it is worth. And you ever think, I'm going to break that on the ground and pour it out on somebody's feet. Got hangnails, stinks. His feet, feet are not attractive, right? His feet, they stink. They got, you, get, you get lint in, in between your toes. Well, Jesus probably didn't have lint because they wore sandals all the time, right? But feet are gross. And I'm going to pour it out on your feet? At least if you're going to break it, wear some of the perfume. So you would never do that. But it would be like taking four of those and breaking all four of them and pouring them out and just, just wasting it. And, and that's, you know, when Judas complained... He was, it was like he was righteously in, indignant saying, this is such waste. And, and, and to some degree, you could kind of agree with him. Like, what a, what a waste. Who does that? Who takes something so valuable and pours out on the ground? Because you know it didn't just get on his feet. It dripped off his feet onto the ground all over the place. And it, it would be, it could be considered a waste. And you could sell that. First of all, why would you ever buy it? But if you did buy it and someone did give it, someone did gift it to you, you could sell that and give the money to the poor. You could give the money to help those who are in need. Like that really could happen. And and Judas, we know his motives were not pure. The scripture tells us right there that it that that it's not. But it wasn't crazy that he said that. Because it is so valuable. It is so valuable. And this is why what she did was, was a picture of extravagant love. When you see the, what, 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 what she, the, 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 the length of, or the, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the, the, I can't think of it. I got, I'm never short of words. It's just not there. Um, how far she went. You know, like it's just Amazing. How far she went to demonstrate what was in her heart. And so it made, it made me think, that picture of extravagant love. What is Christ worth? Like, what is he worth? 
How, how, how valuable is he? He's priceless. He is worth taking an infinite number of Clive Christian number ones and breaking them open and washing his feet with. And that's what this gift makes you do. What does a right response, this is the question I thought of, what does a right response to Jesus look like? What does a right response to Jesus look like? If we see Jesus for who he really is, the all-powerful God of the universe who humbly submitted himself to becoming like us, who took our place, paid for our sins with his own blood, who lovingly offers peace, forgiveness, reconciliation, and victory in him, if we truly understand this, how could we ever withhold anything from him? If we see it correctly, how could we ever withhold anything from Christ that he is worthy of? See, Judas didn't get that. He wasn't a believer. He wasn't a genuine disciple of Christ. Mary loved Christ. And she saw him for who he was. She recognized his deity. She recognized his power. She recognized his majesty. And she, she said, he's, he's worth it. He's worth it. What does a right response look like? It, is it ever appropriate to pursue Jesus halfway? Like, think about that, that question. Is it ever appropriate? So if we're, ask, if we're, if we're asking the question, what, what does a right response to Jesus look like? Is it ever appropriate to pursue Jesus halfway? You know, I talk to people throughout the years of being a Christian and then being in ministry. And, and, you, and you meet a lot of different types of people who call themselves Christians. And it, it, it's, to me, it's confusing to think that anybody could ever say that they're going to go halfway with Jesus. I mean, that really doesn't make sense when you see him for who he is. If he is not all-powerful, if he is not God in the flesh, if you don't believe he's really forgiven your sins because you don't really think you've had, you have a lot of sin, and if he's just something that you've added to your life, then halfway is okay. Halfway is okay. Marginal is okay. Extravagant, you don't need to go anywhere near extravagant if you don't see him for who he really is. But if you see him for who he really is, and you recognize who you really are, then the right, there, there is really only one right response to Christ, right? There's only one right response. It's, Lord, take it all. Take, it all. take everything that I have. Take everything. There's no price that is too high. No price that is too high. Considering all that Christ has done for us, an extravagant re- response is the only reasonable response. It's only reasonable. And this is such a, you know, you read this story and, you know, you don't always go this direction with it. But as I was reading it, this is what jumped out at me. That this is such an extravagant thing that Mary did. And we think that's just, that's just kind of out there. But really, she did what was reasonable. She did what was necessary and right and good because she saw who he really was. And she loved him for who he was. You guys remember the parables, a couple of parables, parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. Let's listen to this in Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And listen to what Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. It's like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found. He found this precious treasure. He found 
And he covered it up. Then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells, what does he say there? All. What's the kingdom of heaven like? It's like selling all. It's not like selling half. It's not like saying, okay, God, I'm going I'm to give you a little bit of my life. I'm going I'm to give you this portion. I'm going to give you this, this angle, this, this, this closet of my heart. You can have a little bit here. But this rest of it, I'm reserving for control for myself. Because I'm not ready to give that up yet. That's not Christianity. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is like. What is the kingdom of heaven like, Jesus says? In his joy. What did Mary do? It was her joy. It was her joy to break this flask of perfume that was worth a year's wages. It was her joy. In his joy. This is a parable. It's a picture. In his joy, he goes, sells all that he has and buys the field. But why does he buy the field? What's, what's happening here? He's buying the field for the treasure that's in the middle of the field. He didn't buy the field for the field. It's a treasure. It's a picture. This is the treasure. It's, it's small. That, they, they, said, they say that, that that pound would have been like 12 ounces. So picture a can of soda. This is a little bit larger. This is 16.9 ounces of water. And picture a field, a big field. You go and you bury that treasure in the field. And he, this picture is that the kingdom of heaven is like buying that entire field that you want nothing to do with the field. You really only want the treasure. And you're willing to sell all that you have to buy all that you don't want because of what you do want. That's profound. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's, that's, that's a picture of extravagant love and joy. And then Jesus, he continues here. Verse 45, again, another picture. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all, sold all that he had and bought it. He found the pearl and he said, said, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. This great pearl, this pearl of great price is worth it. I would sell all that I have. And that's the picture of the kingdom of God. And so this is the first picture that we see of, of Mary's gift. We see a picture of extravagant love. And it's challenging. It's challenging for me to think about that. Lord, what areas of my life have I said, Lord, are off limits? Where, where is it? So I just want, I want, I want you to think. Think about your life as a believer in Jesus Christ. Think, Lord, are there areas that I have walled off from you? You know God knows everything. God knows all. He sees all. He sees every thought and intention of your heart. There is nothing hidden from his sight. He knows everything. And so just when you think, when you think, when we think, that we can ever hide anything from Christ. We deceive ourselves. We fool ourselves. And so the, the only response, the reasonable response, as Mary's response was reasonable, the reasonable response is to say, God, here, take it all. So just th- think about that just for a moment. Lord, what are, are there areas in my life that I'm saying, no, I'm not going to obey you in this yet? And my question to you would be, why would you not do that? Have you seen them? For who he is? Have you seen his infinite value? If you've seen his infinite value, there is no disobedience worth, worth it to exchange expressing your love to him through obedience. None of it is worth it because of who he is. And that's, that's, that's where people get Christianity mixed up. 
that's where, that's where Christianity gets flipped on its head. And Christianity, for some people, be, it just becomes things that you do. I got I to gotta do this. I got to do that. I got to obey here. It's a list of do's and don'ts. That is not Christianity. Christianity is going and selling all to buy what is precious. It's breaking priceless perfume on the feet of Jesus. It's extravagant love. That is Christianity. It is extravagant love that bleeds over into a lifestyle of godliness and obedience. It's not backwards. This, that, this is Ephesians. This is what we're studying on Sunday. This is why Paul started in the heavenlies. This is what Christ has done. This is who you are. Oh, and by the way, the last three chapters, I'm going to tell you, here's how you should live. But he, did, he started here with our heart. Heart knowledge, heart understanding of who God is. And if we see him for who he is, it's no sacrifice. It's no sacrifice. For Judas, it's a sacrifice because Christ didn't have his heart. It's a sacrifice for Judas because Christ didn't have his heart. Someone else had Judas' heart. All right, I know that was heavy, man. <laughs> wow, take a deep breath. Wednesday night preaching. This is like a sun, right? That's, whew. I'm ch- I was challenged when I was thinking about this. But it, it's, it's there, it's, you know. You almost need like a little pause break. Let's pray for a second. Lord, help me. All right, that's our pause. The second picture that we see here. We see a picture of humble service. A picture of extravagant love and then a picture of humble service. What do we see? The second part of chapter, verse 3, John 12. So she took, she took this Precious, priceless, expensive box of ointment, perfume broken on Jesus' feet. And she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So Mary gives this extravagant gift, but she does it in humility. She does it in humility. Judas wanted to take the precious gift. And what did he want to do? He wanted to sell it and he wanted to give it away so he could be seen. Mary took this precious gift and she, she brought it down in a sign of humility and knelt down and wiped Jesus' feet, cleansed his feet with this precious ointment and perfume. She was hidden. She wasn't seen. It was a select group of people that got to witness what she was doing. It's, it's, she was giving her extravagant gift, her, her extravagant love to Christ in secret. She wasn't wanting to parade it all around. And that's, that, that tends to be where I think some, some people struggle. They, they, they want to express their extravagant love to God, but, but sometimes their motives can, can be mixed. Have you ever seen somebody that they, they want you to see their, how good they are and what they do? You ever, I mean, from time to time, we all struggle with that. You know, I, 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 try, I didn't think about this prior to give you a completely accurate example. Um, but this is what happens when I preach. I randomly think of thoughts. <laughs> and so, but I know that I've done this before. There's times where I've given to the poor. There's times where I've done something. Oh, I, I remember. I used to be on Facebook. And thanks be to God, I'm free of Facebook for how long has it been? Over a year. It feels like it's been over a year. But however long it's been, I, I do not miss Facebook. And I don't judge anybody that's on it. So your pastor's not judging you. But I'm just telling you. It is liberating. And I just remember times 
doing things with the church before I was a pastor here, but I was assistant pastor. And we'd go maybe to the House of Hope or we'd go do something somewhere and people are taking pictures. And the thought would cross my mind, I bet you that's going to go on Facebook. And just the thought, that that, that pride, right? It's kind of like that, uh, you know, you would, I would never like vocalize it because you would never want to vocalize that you're excited or, or it makes you feel a little good that somebody's going to see how great you are <laughs> and, and what a servant you are. You would never want to say that. But that, that's, that's, what, that's where we struggle sometimes. Can we really, as Jesus says, give in secret? Because we know our Heavenly Father sees in secret. Can we really be only concerned about praying in secret? Because we know our Heavenly Father sees in secret. And he will reward us openly. You know, there's times where I come in the sanctuary and I will pray. And there's times from, from time to time, somebody will, will walk in and I'll, I'll have to be like, okay, I, my main concern is not that somebody would come in here and see me praying because I'm super spiritual and I'm in the sanctuary praying. That's just, it can be our tendency. But what you see here is a picture of humility. And this is, this is how we serve. This is how we are called to serve. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 6, he addresses this. And we've covered this section from time to time. Beware of practicing. Speaking of the Pharisees and the hypocrites who Jesus was calling hypocrites, be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites, as the Pharisees do in the synagogues. So let's think about that for a second. Is that what they would really do? Yeah. They'd come, and when they were ready to bring their offering in the synagogue, in the temple, they would have paid people that would come before them to sound a trumpet blast to prepare the way for them so they could come in in all their spirituality with all the, the pomp and circumstance, come in with their bags of money so everyone could see how spiritual they are. I remember one time, Pastor Nate told me this. He said that somebody came and gave him a check one time. It was on a Sunday morning. It's before service. And this person came to him and they were like rushed to get to Pastor Renee. If this is you, I apologize. He never told me who it was. <laughs> but he came, this person came and rushed to get to Pastor Renee. And it was a check for thousands and thousands of dollars. It was a really big check. And they had got a windfall of money and they were paying tithe. And so he, they come and they say, Pastor Renee, I just, I, I just want to make sure you get this check. And so he wanted to, they wanted to open it and show him. And he says, no, no, no. I don't want to see it. He said, put it in, in the offering box. And, and, his, and the person was, and he told me, the person was like, no, I, I really want to make sure you get it. He said, it's going to be okay. They'll get it. You put it in the box, and the ushers will get it after service. And he, he knew he, there was, I'm, the person was joyful to give. I know that that was a part of their motive, but Pastor Renee could see a, another part that was there. Just that desire. Hey, I'm, I'm giving this big gift, and I want to make sure that you know it. I want to make sure that you see it. And this is, what, this is what you see here. So they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. They've received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Luke 18, you guys remember the, 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 the parable of 
the tax collector and the Pharisee. And I've told this story before, so we're just going to paraphrase instead of reading it. But, but this is kind of the picture of what we're, we're talking about. Humility versus pride. And Mary demonstrated humble service of the Lord. That's a picture we see there. And in this parable, Jesus told in Luke 18, you have the Pharisee who goes to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee is, in this story, Jesus is describing what he said in Matthew 6 here. He comes in and, and he's, he's saying, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like all these other people, all these sinners that do this, these people that extort and commit adultery and thieves and robbers. I thank you that I'm not like, not like any of them. And especially, I thank you, I'm not like that tax collector over there. And he was proud with his prayer. But what did the tax collector do, who was considered the lowest of the low sinner? He comes in, wouldn't lift up his head. You know, he's, 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 he's in a posture of humility. And he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It says he was beating his chest. And when I thought about Mary, I thought about this picture right here. It's a picture of humility. And that's what God honors. Mary was demonstrating. And listen to this. This is, this is a, pro, pro, a profound thought here. What, what part of the body was she washing when she washed Jesus? It's his feet. She anointed his feet. And what happened just a little bit later? What did Jesus do? He washed the disciples' feet. So Mary was demonstrating to the disciples in the room that were in the room what humble service looks like. And she demonstrated this before Jesus did when he washed the disciples' feet in the next chapter. And we're going to see that in John 13. So she demonstrated a Christ-like attitude and posture before Jesus even demonstrated it. She washed his feet. And if they... We're, we're upset, just maybe some of the other disciples in the room agreed with Judas. And then later on, before he's crucified, Jesus says, I'll show you that Mary was right. I'll show you that Mary was right. This is what humble service looks like. This is what it means to be a great leader. It's to humbly serve. So that's the second picture. We see a picture of humble service. We see a, an extravagant love and a, a heart of humble service. And then thirdly, we see a rebuke. We see a picture of a a rebuke of self-centered religion. Let's go back to the text. This is a rebuke of self-centered religion. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? He, He said this not because he cared, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money back, he used to, 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 used to steal, used to, to pilfer what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone that she may keep, it, keep this, keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus, and just side note, Jesus is not downplaying the poor in this statement. We're, we are to meet the needs of the poor as God makes us able. He was st- simply just saying that I'm going away. And you're not, you're not always going to have me on this earth. And what she, do, what she is doing is a sign of worship and honor of me. That's, that's, that's what he's saying there. So John, in, in, in his writings, he was known for creating contrast. If you, if you read, as we've read through the Gospel of John, and, and, and if you read through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, it's pictures of contrast over and over again. And this is a stark contrast that we're ending with in, in this story and in this message. He's contrasting. There's a huge contrast between Mary, who gave ext- extravagantly, to demonstrate her love in a heart of humble service. And then you have the extreme contrast of Judas who is self-centered and is a picture of, 
of self-centered religious experience. I just want you to, to think about this. And I phrased it like this. Mary saw Jesus for who he was and worshipped him, worshipped him accordingly. Mary saw Jesus for who he was and worshipped him accordingly. Judas saw Jesus for who he was and used him for his own personal gain. They both saw the same thing. They both saw the same miracle working power. They both saw the authority with which Jesus spoke with, but they each had a different response. And this is what John is contrasting right here. Mary had the right response. Judas had the response that is typical of somebody who who is self-centered and is only in it for themselves. It was the contrast. The contrast between them could not be greater. After Judas's righteous indignation over Mary's extravagant display of worship, Judas quickly demonstrated the true condition of his heart. Let's look. So let's look at Mark 10. This is the, another account of, of what happened here. As soon as he's in, he's in the room and he's, he's, he's angry, he's, he's acting like he's angry over the wastefulness that this woman had, wasting this priceless gift and it could have been given to the poor. He's worried about the money, right? Look what happens. Mark, let's look at Mark 10, Mark 14, 10 through 11. Then, right after this, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So here's, here's, here's the person. Oh yeah, I'm righteously angry over what Mary did. But who he really was came to the surface. And I just want you to know that almost every time when you want to decipher between what is true and what is false, if you want to know whether the preacher you're, you're listening to, the, whatever, some spiritual, someone that's supposed to be a spiritual person, you, you look at their motives. What are they after? And typically, false teachers can always be linked to that right there. And link, the link to what they can get to money. What can, and that, that's what it said in John, John chapter 12. He used, to, he used to, to keep for himself, take for himself. He was a thief. And that is one sign of somebody who's a false teacher. Somebody who is, who, who is after it for themselves. It, it is reduced to just who they are. And how can they better themselves, better their position. Have more power, have more, more influence. Ultimately, to have more money and have more things. And so we see here a picture. We see, we see here a picture. It's, it's a rebuke of self-centered religion. And that was the religion of, of the Pharisees. They had taken the Pharisees, had taken Judaism, and they had turned it into something it was never intended to be. They took Judaism and they, and they added rules and regulations to God's law, to the Ten Commandments. And they blew up the Ten Commandments and created customs and traditions that were not biblical. And they did it just so they could be seen. And Jesus exposes that whenever he compares Mary and Judas. I want to look at 1 John chapter 1 and, and show you how there's a contrast here. As John contrasts Mary and Judas, you see a contrast here in 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say... If we say, think of Judas here. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if, 
we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. On the, on the other hand, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we're unwilling to acknowledge sin, we're unwilling to acknowledge our need for God, but we say we're, we're righteous, we deceive ourselves. We make God a liar and his word is not in us. And this lavish gift that Mary gave, this lavish, this, this costly perfume that she broke over Jesus' feet and, and the way she did it in her humble service was an exposing, was an exposing of the hypocrisy of, of Judas and of man-made religion. It's an exposing that, that Christianity is centered on the heart. Christianity is linked to what you see in Mary. It's not, it's not rules and regulations. It's not doing things to be seen by men. It's, it's an extravagant condition of your heart. And that's what pleases the Lord. That's what pleases God. That's, that's what he looks at and says is valuable. And you know what's amazing? You know, the title of this message is a, a memorable gift. But you know what's amazing about this? Is that her gift really was memorable. Look at Mark fourteen nine. Jesus said in talking about the gift that Mary gave. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, what's that saying there? I've never heard a gospel message per se, unless somebody's preaching from this text. I've never preached the gospel and said something about Mary in memory of her. I've never done that. And I never really heard any other preacher do it. And I used to always think about that. Wait a minute. I've heard the gospel preached all the time. Nobody talks about Mary. They talk about Jesus. So what does that mean? Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Well, what did she do? She demonstrated what it means to be a Christian. She demonstrated what it means. She demonstrated the heart of the gospel. And that the heart of the gospel is centered on the heart. She demonstrated what the gospel really means. That it's not Judas. It's not man-made religion that looks good on the outside and does things that are just to be seen by men. It is, it, it, Christianity is Mary breaking the, pri, the, the precious ointment that is valuable. It's, her, it's, it's, her, it's her, her humility, her service. It's extravagant love. So where, wherever the gospel is preached and, and, and it's preached and it's proclaimed that to follow Christ means that you give it all, it's done in honor of her because she demonstrated it to Jesus and that's what that means when somebody tells you when somebody preaches the gospel and says that you give it all to 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 follow Christ means you give it all that's what it means right there because that's what the gospel is and Jesus honored her that's powerful can you imagine me and Chuck were talking about it uh right before service we're going over my notes and he's like I wonder if people that are in heaven right now with Mary I wonder if they come and they, they, they want to talk to her and say, Man, you, you're the one that, that, that Jesus said that everywhere the gospel's preached, you're going to be talked about. I mean, how powerful is that to be mentioned by the Lord, by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's powerful. 
And he mentioned it because she got it. And here's the key. This is my, my, my last statement. Here's the key. She saw him for who he was. If you're ever witnessing to somebody, trying to convince them of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what you need to pray is, you need to pray that they can, that they can see him for who he is. Until they see him as Mary saw him, they're always going to see him as Judas saw him. As somebody that can just do something for them. But they need to see him as Mary saw him. As Lord. As King. Who's worthy of their devotion. Amen. Amen. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that this is true. That your word is true. And I thank you for the example that Mary gives us. Of extravagant love. Of a love that says there is no price too high to pay to demonstrate our love and affection and our, and, and our, our devotion to you. God, I, and I pray that it would be true of us. Lord, that, I pray that we would not hide anything from you. Lord, we know that you see all and know all. I pray that, that we would not reserve anything, that, but that we would give it all. That we would obey where we have not obeyed. That we would surrender where we have refused to surrender. God, I pray that we would follow Mary's example. And pour out our love extravagantly on you. And that we would humbly serve you wherever you called us to serve. I thank you for this truth. Thank you for your word. And how it ministers to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.